I know many of you here at the Delray Congregation, so I'm not a stranger as such. Uh, yes, there are rockets are still flying in Israel. The last three nights I was there, we spent 30 days at the dig site. Uh, we spent about an hour or so in the bunker Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights before we left Thursday to come back to the good old United States. The only thing I left in Israel was 22 and a half pounds and dirty socks. And uh, I'm, glad to be, I'm glad to be back here in the United States. We have to wash our clothes by hand because we're out in the uh, rural area. The kibbutz this year was in the Valley of Elah. And I saw for the first time the iron uh, fortress, or not fortress, but the iron dome that they used to intercept the rockets one evening uh, in person. And it is fascinating to see. It's very dangerous. But uh, we weren't in any grave, grave danger. But it's good to be home. It really is. Thank you for the invitation here to speak to you and to bring a lesson tonight. Daniel chapter 1 is where we'll be. We'll spend some time in Daniel tonight. If there was a title, as we have for tonight, I would suggest several. I would suggest following God always. That's exactly what Daniel did. He wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes like many others. But he did follow the Lord, and he followed him very well. Uh, Faith's resolve. He made a resolve. He made up his mind. He purposed in his heart to do what was right and to follow the Lord. Uh, Courageous living would be a good title. Courageous living in, in turbulent times. And that could be right now in 2014 as well. Uh, whether these young folks here that are in, in school or whether some of us older folks, we're all tempted. Obviously, Satan knows how to do all of that. But we don't need to yield to temptation. These are turbulent times and we need to be courageous. We need to stand up for what is right. Because who are we? Uh, we have the truth, all the truth, and nothing but the truth. So let's tell others about the true Christ that we have, if they will listen. The Old Testament, you know as well as I, is filled with wonderful examples that are worthy of our study along these lines of courageous living in turbulent times, resolving to do what right, purpose to do what was right, and following God always. Examples, of course, like like Joseph. He took a stand for God in the house of Potiphar. We know that story very, very well. We know the story of, of Joshua, a great man of faith, and the great man of conviction in his efforts and his resolve to serve God. Other examples that ought to inspire us, of course, is Daniel. A young man, not much older than some of you folks sitting here tonight, some of you young people. But he made a resolve. His faith was strong. We want our faith to be strong? Let me tell you how to do that. It's very simple. Read your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, your faith is not going to grow. Bottom line, period. Bottom line. If you do not read and study the Word of God, your faith will not grow. Period. We need to be good, diligent students of the Bible. Period. Daniel resolved to do what was right. He had courage. He remained true to his convictions. As an old man, his faith sustained him with a threat of persecution. But tonight we're talking about the young Daniel. The young Daniel and his faith 
It was a bleak day in the history of Israel. A bleak day. The beginning of the Babylonian domination here in the first two verses that you read in the book of Daniel. You can also look in Isaiah 39 and read as well. In the third year of Jehoiakim, which was 605 B.C., Jerusalem was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. We won't go into a lot of this history. We'll just mention it briefly. But it was a very bleak day. Jehoiakim taken into captivity and the precious items were taken from the temple. This was the first of three, first of three times that Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem. 605, 597, and 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king. He came and lived over in what we now know as the country of Iraq and Iran. Now, what time was this? Well, at Bet Shemesh, we're digging in the uh, Iron Age 1, 2, and 3. We're digging in that area also where there's the um, early bronze, middle bronze, and also the late bronze age. But all of this that happens in Daniel comes well after all of that. It comes after the Solomon's reign. It comes after the conquest of the northern kingdom uh, by the Assyrians. It comes after uh, the, the, the temple has been destroyed by Babylon, by the Babylonians. And then he takes two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, into captivity. The Babylonian exile of Judah lasted 70 years, 586 to 539 B.C. So this is the time, a very bleak time in all of the history of Israel. Babylon means gate of God. That's what, the, that's what, that's what it means. Ancient city in the plain of Shinar on the uh, Euphrates River, about 50 miles south of what we know today as modern Baghdad. Founded by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10, goes back a ways, developed the first of the world's organized system of idolatry. I'll show you a piece of idolatry tonight before we leave, which God condemned in Genesis chapter 11. Later became the capital of Babylon and the Babylonian Empire, and it was had an overwhelming size and overwhelming appearance. We can look at all the things that was there. We look at the city itself in a square form, 14 miles on each side, brick walls of 56 miles long, 300 feet high, 25 feet thick, with another wall of 75 feet behind the first wall, and the wall extended 35 feet below the ground. A fortress, to say the least. And there's so much more to be said about the city of Babylon and its fortress. But let's look at Daniel. This is where he was taken. This is where he was taken. We can show you pictures. We can show you artifacts from all of this. But let's look at the story of Daniel. It was a bleak day. Daniel and others selected for special training. Young men taken to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Verses 3 through 7 of chapter 1 is where that took place. They were truly the cream of the crop. They were the brightest They were among the captives. They were the best looking. The Bible says they had no blemish. They were perfect in appearance. And they were taken into captivity. They were gifted with wisdom. 
They were gifted with knowledge and they had the ability to learn very quickly, very quickly, to serve in the king's palace and to be taught the language and to be taught the literature of these Chaldeans or the Babylonians, given special provisions of the king's food and, and drink with three years of special training into this culture of the Babylonians. This is where Daniel is headed, completely different than way where he was. Among those selected, four are named, apparently renamed, of course, to honor the Babylonian gods. Daniel, which means God is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, a servant of Bel, B-E-L. And then, of course, uh, the, other, the other three, the Lord is gracious, name was changed to Shadrach, inspired of the sun god. Who is what God is? Mikael. Changed to another name. Who is what the moon God is? They're all listed there. And then the last one, Abednego, a servant of Nebo. Now, their names were changed. Their culture was changed because now they're Babylonians. Now they're being ingrained and brainwashed into this culture. How would these young men respond? How would we respond? How would these folks here respond in such a situation as that? Would you submit to the temptations that are placed before you? Because they're very tempting, obviously. Uh, would, would you give in? Would you um, excuse yourself because you're young and this is okay and uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience, so I will indulge? How would you have reacted if you were in their place? Well, Daniel makes a decision. We're going to apply this to our life as we close. He purposed in his heart, verse 8, the Bible reads, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And the story continues. And you know this story, just like you know the story of Joseph as well and others. He purposed in his heart. His mind was made up. You see, when we're baptized into Christ, whether it's in this building or someplace else, we make a commitment to God at no matter what age we were baptized, say, I will serve the Lord from here on. I am resolved to increase my faith and to do what is right in the sight of God. We made that commitment when we were baptized. So if something comes our way, do we have to sit here and scratch our head and think, should I do this? Uh, is it okay? Uh, it looks good. Uh, others are involved. We don't need to make that. That decision has already been made when we became a Christian. God, I'll serve you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my being. And when something comes my way that's question mark, that I know perhaps is not what God wants, we don't have to think about it. Mind's made up. Can't do it. I'm going to resolve to resist. And that's what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart. He made a commitment. You know, people today have a hard time making commitments. Even to Christ, they have a hard time. And that's a shame. Sometimes too rarely heard today in both young and old, his commitment was not to defile himself with the king's food. 
that served idols, perhaps. Possibly unclean food according to the Levitical restrictions that were in place. Or food served to idol worship or in idol worship would cause one to participate in that worship. If you ate that food, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 and 22 are a couple of references. How Daniel remained true to his commitment. How did he do all of this? Well, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we see that he did that with politeness. He was very polite in this. We've already read verse 8. And with the wine, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He, he was polite in this. Note, he requested this, is what he did. I request, please, I don't need to be involved with this. He did not demand anything. He requested, and he respected the authority of those over him. So he did it with politeness. He did it with God's help. Because we read there in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God helped him. God knew what was going on. He knows what's going on in our lives today. He works in our lives. It's easy to see what's happened in our lives, but we don't understand fully the providence of God. But he does work in our lives, and maybe we don't understand it until after time passes. But he did it with God's help. God gave him favor in the eyes of those eunuchs, similar to how Joseph, of course, found favor in prison when you read back in Genesis 39, 21. He also did it not only with politeness, but with God's help. But thirdly, he did it through persistence. Notice verses 10 and 11. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. And he mentions the three names there. Test your servants for ten days. Let us, give, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our parents and the parents of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He placed a challenge before this individual that was over him and the others. And he placed that challenge. It was persistent. He did not give in at all. He tried something else going to the steward directly over him. And he did it through willingness to test his faith. Verses 12 through 15. He was confident that God's way was the right way. He knew God's way was the right way. We know God's way is the right way, but sometimes we stray from that way because we think we know better than God does in situations. He was willing to demonstrate the superiority of God's way. And when we speak to folks, there's a better way to live here and in the hereafter. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about, a, about Jesus, the true Christ. Not the one that you see on TV. Not the one that's advertised in our media. Let me show you what the Bible says about that. He was, he was convicted. He was convinced that God's way was the right way. And he was willing to demonstrate 
the superiority of God's way. So he asked the steward to give him and his three friends just water and vegetables for 10 days. Don't want that food. Just give me water and vegetables. Well, look at the value of such faith. And look at the results that happened here. It affected the lives of others. When we read verses 15 and 16, others are affected by the decisions that we make. Some of our decisions may not seem so heavy or big decisions, but they're yet the decisions. And these decisions that we make in our lives affect others in their lives, either for good or for bad. He was blessed with countenance, the countenance of Daniel and his friends. And then blessed the rest of the young men under the care of the steward. He, God blessed Daniel and his three friends even more. When we look in verses 17 through 20. God gave him knowledge. God gave him skill. God gave him wisdom. And to Daniel, he gave understanding later on in the visions and the dreams that we won't get into tonight. They became the best of the young men who had been trained and served in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, that great king of Babylon. The king found them better than all of the astrologers and the magicians that were there. They were much better, much better. Daniel continued in the court of Babylon nearly 70 years. Notice what verse 21 says. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And when you look at the dates, it was 70 years. So, even until the first year of Persia, really, there in verse that we've just read, the last verse, 21, 539 B.C., when he came on board, Cyrus of Persia, evidently becoming a provisional leader, and, of course, he became an amb- a, a, a um, uh, ambassador, a uh, administrator, if you please, over all others, because we find that in chapter two, verse forty-eight. Look where this got Daniel. It elevated him in in in, in the line of, of of this of this kingdom where he could do good and still serve God. So, what a wonderful example of faith and commitment here in chapter one. Now, what lessons do we have? Well, very simply, how are we going to apply? What Daniel, what we find here in chapter 1 to our life today. Following God always. Resolve. It's turbulent times. And when the times are not turbulent, always follow God always. How do you succeed in keeping our commitment to God? Be polite. I would make that point as point number one. Simply be polite. There is never any reason to be arrogant or rude, period especially as Christians. Impoliteness just aggravates the situation rather than helps it. Look in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It tells us that. Do what Daniel did. He was polite and he also sought God's help. How often do we pray to God? How often do we read the Bible? How often do we counsel God? Without God, any effort is most likely to fail. Psalms 127 tells us that. God seeks to help those who are loyal to him. Second Chronicles tells us that, chapter 16, verse 9. Be persistent. Daniel was persistent in a nice way. We don't need to give up trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, do these things that we want to do. We, we need to do what God wants us to do. Um, um, we meet the first obstacle. 
there's obstacles in our life. God tests, God places demands on our faith every day. And when these things come our way, how do we fare? There are, there are obstacles in the way. Do we overcome some of those obstacles? These students have them. You and I have them. And we need to understand that, that God places demands upon our faith daily. Is our faith tested? How strong is our faith? Do we exercise our faith? Are we putting more exercise in our physical body than we are exercising what we believe and why we believe it? Seek God's help. Be persistent. Be polite in all these things. Those who keep on asking and seeking and knocking will receive and they'll find. They'll have those doors opened is what Matthew 7, 7 and verses following says. We will have those doors open. The parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Be willing to test your faith. We just mentioned that. If you're not willing, how committed are you to trusting God? You trust God? Let him test your faith. Let him test it. You know, there's a difference between uh, commitment and, and trusting. How do we really trust God? Do we really trust God? It's like that old boy that put a tight rope across the main street from one bank to the other. He says, I'm going to walk this tightrope. And he got up there and he walked it. And the crowd was cheering, cheering him on, watching as he walked across. And then he went ahead and put a blindfold on. Do you think I can do it blindfolded? They said, sure. And he went up there and he walked it back and forth. And they were cheering him on. Then he got a wheelbarrow, blindfolded himself, pushed the wheelbarrow across the tightrope and back across the street, 80 feet above the ground. And the crowd was cheering and said, do you think I can put somebody in the wheelbarrow? Sure. You can do all these things. You can do that. So he came down and he went in the crowd. He says, hey, fellow, come here. How about you? Oh, no, no, don't take me. Take my buddy. Don't take me. Uh, I really don't trust you. Do we trust God? Do we trust God? Are we willing to keep our commitment to trusting God? Yet God often invited people to test his promises in Malachi 3.10. And so does Jesus in John chapter 7. Open your Bibles to John chapter 7 for just a moment. And let's take a look in John chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. John 7, 16 and 17. And the Bible reads, So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. Do we really, really trust God? Do we, do we trust those promises that Jesus has given us? Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. School-aged children, school-aged children, students, out from underneath their parents' apron. Maybe they've gone to college for the first time. Maybe they're away from home working for the first time. They'll be faced with making decisions. How will their faith fare? We raise our children. We've raised two. They've went to Faulkner University. We lived in Charleston, South Carolina. I was 485 miles, 16 yards, 3 feet and 6 inches from Davis Storm, where my daughter was. 
They made it. But that's where you find out how good of a job have we done. They made it with the help of folks at Faulkner and others. We have that responsibility. It is our responsibility as parents to raise our children. And students that are college bound, moving away from home for the first time, leaving a spiritual atmosphere where they live, where they act, with a commitment that the same one they had when they were at home. We pray that they will. That's the reason you have youth ministers and college ministers, not only in this congregation, but elsewhere in this city, to help with that. Leadership, others in the congregation. What about adults in the workplace? Tempted to accept jobs that may require one to compromise your convictions. I'll tell you a story about this old boy. When I was 45 years old, I lost my job. I walked out, I quit at 45. We lived in Charleston, South Carolina for 32 years. I'm from North Alabama. All my relatives live up in Florence. That's where my in-laws and outlaws live. The difference between in-laws and outlaws is that outlaws are wanted. But anyway, we lived for 32 years in Charleston. And I had a, I had a business, got into other businesses and so forth. And then I said, uh, we'll get out of that and I'll go to work for someone else. Well, between jobs, between the time I found one, I work for a radio station selling advertisements. Golden Oldies station. Can you believe that? <laughs> Songs that I knew and were familiar with. I sold lots of advertisements. But I said, look, when I come to work for you, I will not do any remotes at beer joints or nightclubs, or I will not sell any advertisements that are contrary to my convictions in the Bible. And the owners said, okay. But then the owners changed. They sold the station to another group a big conglomerate out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the boss came to me one day and says, you've done so well, we'll give you some big, big accounts. We want you to take the Budweiser account. And I said, I will not do that, my friend. He says, if you won't take that, you can clean out your desk and leave. And I simply did that. I cleaned out my desk and left and went home and told my wife. Three days later, I had another job, a much better job. And I stayed at that job for 10 years before we moved here in 2001. How could I have taken that job? How could I, a member of the church, serving at that time as a deacon, I could not have done that. I couldn't sell Budweiser commercials. I couldn't do remotes with a Budweiser truck sitting out in front of a nightclub. What? That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I said to the Lord when I was baptized into Christ in 1959 at the age of 13. That's not me. And I refused. The Lord will take care of you. Believe me. Young people, listen to me. It's a tough world out there. And you've got to make those convictions and commitments now and stick with them. Don't you leave the Lord and let your commitments go out the window. You keep those commitments. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will take care of you. It may seem a little bleak. It did in Daniel's time. But he survived. And he did well. I wasn't going to lie for anybody. I was going to show my loyalty to that company. No. As long as I could do and make the advertisements that I wanted to. The furniture stores. The car salesmen. All of these places were fine. But not, not anything of that nature. My faith was strong. And it was even stronger when I said no. And that evening at 6 o'clock, I packed it up. 35 minutes later, I'm out of there. Never to return. 
In the workplace, adults, we are faced with these things. How will we do? What about those that are living with an unbelieving spouse? Having to serve God and raise children in a way the Lord wants them to be raised, and yet dealing with an unbelieving spouse. I went through that too. I won't tell you all of that story, but I know that. I've been there. With little or no moral religious support from their, from their mate, they have to do all these things. But they purposed in their heart. My mother purposed in her heart to do what was right to raise me and my sister Nancy. And she did a good job. But it was tough having an alcoholic dad didn't go to church and that blew the money. But later on in life, he did rededicate himself and his life and his soul back to the Lord. And he died a faithful Christian. Praise God for that. There are so many other applications we could go through tonight, but our time is about gone. Even those who are young need to make a very personal commitment to serve the Lord now. If you don't do it now, I doubt you'll do it later. We can be steadfast. We have a purpose. We have a, a, a life to live. We have a, we have a faith. There's only one faith. It's found in this book, the eternal word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God above. We look to the Lord for help. We be willing to trust in his providence. Things may not seem like they're working out right. But Daniel, look at that example. Read that story again and all the details that are there. We didn't mention a whole lot about Joseph. But Daniel is not the only person that demonstrated such faith. Joseph certainly did. David did in some ways, of course, made lots of mistakes. The example of Mary, the mother of Jesus. What about Timothy in the New Testament, that young man, and his exercise of faith? So may the example of this dedication, of this service to God in these turbulent times in Daniel 1, I'm glad I didn't live back there. This is the good old days right now. This is where we want to be. Are we making the best of it? Are we teaching others about commitment? And are we purposing in our heart? The church is only as strong as the members that make it up. How are we doing when God places demands on our faith every day? Let's pray before we go further. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel and Joseph and Timothy and so many others. Help us, Father, to always purpose in our hearts when we arise every morning to remember who we are and what we stand for and that we're going to keep our commitment to you no matter what because you come first in our lives. You are the most important. You are the creator, Jesus the Savior. And we know, Father, that the blood of Christ continues to flow daily for the remission of sins of those that know not the true Christ. Help us to encourage and be the best example that we can, especially for our young people, because they have turbulent times in their world. It may not seem like it to us, but it is to them. Help us, Father, to encourage them and help them and show them, because we're not always going to be around. They are the church of today and tomorrow in so many ways. Help us to pray for our youth and college ministers and their families to give them strength to carry on and teach those young folks what is right and teach the truth teach that true doctrine that's found in your word so they can teach others in Christ's name we pray amen when Daniel went to Babylon 
he saw a massive structure, a lot of massive structures. And Babylon was built just like years before in the early Iron Age when the Israelites came into the land, when Joshua came into the land, and the, and the uh, uh, Egyptians were ruling the Canaanites, and they had all of these cities. And then, of course, then you have uh, not only Nebuchadnezzar, but others that come in and destroy and take people captive and so forth and so on. But when Daniel saw this land, and when Abraham lived, all through the Old Testament, they built their, a lot of their homes the same way. A lot of the walls the same way. The building with mud brick. And we find lots of mud brick. In fact, the Bedouins still use it in the desert today, in the Judean hills that are barren. Largest thing growing is about this high today. I have a mud brick that I brought back from Bet Shemesh several years ago. I'll leave it up here so you can take a look at it. And it's different than our bricks today. It would have been a little bit larger than this. It weighs about five or six pounds. But it's unique in the fact that this has the mason's mark. This mud brick is 3,200 years old. And this is what they built their homes out. What's it made of? Mud, straw, and sometimes animal dung. But the straw they used in Egypt, remember, was taken away from the Hebrews. And they had a tough time making mud brick. An average slave back in those days would make 2,000 of these a day. Now that's a lot of hard work. But the Mason's mark is right here. He drug his fingers right through this piece of mud, and that's his fingerprints. Well, not his prints, but his finger marks. And that's his Mason's mark. Told several things. Number one, it told uh, it belongs to me. I made this wall. This is mine. And second of all, it may have said, well, this is, this is the position that you put it in this wall. So this is what Daniel saw. This is what Joshua saw. This is what the days of Judges saw. And this is what you still see today in homes over in Israel out in the desert. And then, of course, as they did back then, as they continued to do during the days of Joshua and the judges, they had to pound their grain somehow, had to beat their grain. We find lots of these pounding stones. It's flat on one side, and then it weighs about a pound or two. Person must have been left-handed because when you place your thumb on this indentation in your finger here, it fits perfectly. Because that's what they pounded their grain with. That's a 3,000-year-old pounding stone. Find lots of these all over Israel. So I was able to bring this back as well as other things as well. Now, somebody said, well, it may have been the first mouse. And then the last thing I want to show you is something that God told the Israelites, the Hebrews, to stay away from. Daniel faced these things. They were still around when he went to Babylon. And they were... Astarheads or Asteria, the fertility goddess, in this case, of the Canaanites. And these fertility goddesses, these were cult idols that they had in their homes. And this is one of them right here. Only has the head part. You have to come up and take a look at it closer. But it has the very distinctive head beaded around here, the headdress, the almond eyes, the bulging cheeks. These were the fertility goddesses that God told Joshua and the Hebrews, do not touch. You destroy them. Now this is only part of it. The rest of it would have stood this high. This um, fertility goddess, obviously, her breasts would have been extended uh, outwardly uh, quite a bit. And her hands would have been underneath to emphasize because she was a fertility goddess. She was a cult idol. 
Now, we don't look at these things today as, in this culture as cult idols, but there are idols in this culture, all, in cultures all over the world that are similar to this. And this is what God told Daniel and others to stay away from because they were still around even in the days of Daniel in Babylon. All sorts of gods. They were named after Babylonian gods when their names were changed. And so I invite you to come up and take a look at the mud brick, the pounding stone, and then the little cult goddess. No, we don't have these today. We do have idols today that we, that we uh, things that we worship in our lives. And sometimes those things get the best of us. And sometimes we forget that we don't need to, we have a lot of good things going on. Young people have a lot of good things going on. But when we leave God out of our plans, then we've got a problem because we're not keeping our commitment to the Lord. And we need to remember to resolve, to purpose in our hearts, to serve Him and to serve Him only. Thank you.